Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. What is up Wednesday night? So excited to see you guys. And I am, words can't describe how excited I am to get to share with you and not have to do a tithe message. That was awesome. Thank you, Pastor Bernie. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Scott. I pastor the small group community here at Res Life. Anybody in small groups out there? All right, a lot of, a lot of you. That's awesome. And uh, also do uh, social media, so see a lot of interesting things on social media. Um, so if you've got version uh, on your phone or you got that app, you can follow the message tonight on there. And so you can follow all the verses um, to make it easy for you. Um, but again, I'm just excited to be here tonight uh, and, and, to, and to talk with you about what I believe God's put on my heart specifically for you tonight at this time and for a specific purpose. So we're going to talk about what it means to know Christ And not the intellectual knowledge that you get from just knowing about Christ, but the experiential knowledge that you get from knowing Christ intimately and walking in his ways. And when I think about knowing Christ, I want to share a story with you because it gives you such a clear illustration of the power of God's love in a person's life and how many other lives that it can affect. So I'm going to talk about my hero of faith, which is my grandmother, Lois. I call her Nana. So Nana is the, probably the coolest woman ever, besides my wife, okay? Um, besides my wife, Nana, she rocks. Um, so I, I owe my walk. I would not be standing here. I would not be pastoring. I would not even have my walk with Christ. I would not even know Christ without Nana. And I get a lot of ministry calls. Um, and a lot of people, you know, either tell me they've got prodigal kids who are, are, are living in sin, and they want to know how to reach them. Um, I talk to family members all the time. They're, they're, they're so, they have such a heart uh, for someone who is not experiencing the fullness of God in their life, and they're wondering what to do. And usually when I start asking probing questions, they're usually doing the opposite of what they really need to do. They're, they're kind of pushing them away. Any, anybody ever had a loved one that you try to bring to Christ that you've pushed away? Can anybody, can anybody agree with that, that you've done that before? So Nana did something a little different, and usually I always think of her when I tell people what to do. You just love on people. You just love on them. And I've heard the phrase sometimes get tossed around that, you know, you you just love them right into hell. Really, you can't do that. Love doesn't send people to hell. People's own decisions and rejection of Jesus do that. But our job is to love. God is love. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, all of our strength, and we're to love our neighbors. We're to love people as we love ourselves. So it reminds me of some stories. I wasn't born again until I was 20. I'm 36 now, uh, so I haven't even been born again for half of my life, which kind of seems odd. But I was a very, very good sinner. Very good. I did it well. I had fun. Anybody who tells you that sin isn't fun is a liar because it is fun. It's destructive, but it is fun. A life with Christ is a lot funner, but we don't really know that until we get into the groove. So what we would do is, me and my friends, we'd be out high school, we'd, out, we'd just get trashed. I mean, we would be absolutely wasted, but we would always go back to my house. You know, it'd be one or two o'clock in the morning, and we'd go in being loud, and my grandmother lived with us, and so she lived downstairs, so she always heard us rattling around in the kitchen. And she'd always make her way out in her robe, and she was just always smiling and laughing. She was never telling us what we were doing was wrong or condemned us or, or, or put any kind of shame on us. We knew that she disapproved of the sin, but we knew that she approved of us. It's a big difference. 
So she'd come out and she'd make us breakfast. She'd fry some eggs up, do some handmade buttermilk biscuits. I'm from South Carolina. I don't, I don't know if you guys have buttermilk biscuits up here. Yes, no? Buttermilk biscuits are good, son. So she'd make these buttermilk biscuits and eggs and we would just be sitting around. We'd be cussing, talking about the fun we had that night, just lewd, obnoxious, just bad, just naughty. But we, you wouldn't know it by her reaction to us. She just loved us and made it fun. So we were over there all the time. After a night of carousing and doing whatever, we always ended up back at my place, and I had different friends over there and kind of my core group. So whenever my life turned to absolute madness um, and all the sin that I committed caught up with me, and I came to myself, all this time that she is loving on us, She's also praying for us. She's also praying for opportunities to show the love of Christ to us in ways that the people in church that I knew weren't doing. The same people that were telling me that I need to go to church and need to come to Jesus were the same people I was selling drugs to in the dark corners of parties, which that seemed kind of odd to me. Nana wasn't like that. She just loved us. So when I came to the end of myself, I was kicked out of my house. My parents had had enough of me. Kicked me out. I moved in with Nana. And I start to work this job at this textile mill called the Graniteville Company in Graniteville, South Carolina, in the middle of summer. And these old textile mills, they don't have air conditioners. They just have a huge fan on one end of the building that kind of just sucks the hot air out, but it is hot. And I had this really ridiculous job working this machine where I had to take 55-gallon full drums of paint back and forth to feed this machine that painted all these kinds of tarps and, 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 and textiles. I did this for two months, and I'd just come to the end of myself. I was sober, but I was inside, I was still dead. I was still desiring to do those things. So it was just torture working this job, and it was just torture living with my grandmother, and it was just torture being from everything I'd ever known. So I went to her one night, because I remember her. Every morning, she'd be faithfully sitting there reading her Bible. And I asked her, where can I read in the Bible that's going to make a difference? So she put me in the Gospel of John. Before I got done with the first chapter, I was born again. I was praying to God. Um, I, was, I was accepting Christ in my heart. All of a sudden, I was alive. And God gave me purpose. God gave me identity. And then it was game on. And I love Nana for that. She was the instrumental in bringing me to that place. Now, years later, in 2003, she passed away and went to go be with Jesus. And that was the first opportunity I got to get up and do public speaking and to really rest in the anointing and the purpose that God had called me to be a pastor and to share my faith. And it was tough to do because I was crying. I was, just a, I was not, not upset, but just overwhelmed with the situation. She was very dear to me. But then as I got up there, I looked out, and what immediately encouraged me was all the faces of the young men that had been at our house that night, those nights, when we'd come out of partying. Who goes to their friend's grandmother's funeral? Does that happen often? Maybe. But where I'm from, not a lot. But I looked out and I saw 10. I'm counting them as I'm speaking, 15, 20. All these guys that had been coming in and out of our, because of Nana. Because of the love that she showed, these guys that didn't even know Jesus, they came and they saw the transformation that was taking place in my life, and they got to hear faith. So I want to talk to you tonight. I believe that God put this directive on my heart. As I was thinking about what am I going to preach about, I got a ton of different sermons. I love I speaking on stuff that involves faith, 
being a champion of your faith, stomping a mud hole in the devil and walking it dry, those types of message, charging hell with a super soaker. I, I love that. But God told me, he says, I want you to convince my people how precious they are to me. I said, I don't know, God, that sounds kind of flaky. That sounds kind of like a fluffy message. People don't want to know that. But what I realized was that God was really convincing me of that. It's something that I hadn't completely forgotten, but I had started to live so independently in my faith in God that I forgot how dearly precious I was to him. So in preparing this, it helped me uncover that. So this is, if anybody else, if you guys don't get a thing, I'm learning up here today. Okay? This message is for me, probably more than it is for you guys. So just strap on your seatbelts and hang on. If you get something out of it, great. If you don't, I'm going to have fun. All right. So I want to issue a challenge out to you tonight. I want you to ask the question, is there more? Have you ever thought, is there more to my life? Have you ever thought that the life that I'm living doesn't really feel like my life. My reality is not what I thought it was gonna be. And deep down, deep down in the core of your being, you're sensing, you have a deep sense that there's something more. And you're always struggling to find out where you belong. You're always struggling to find out who's gonna accept you. You're always struggling to find out where is your place in the big scheme of things. Anybody ever felt like that? You ever felt like you just don't fit in? Or you ever felt like you just, where, where, where do I belong? We've all come to the place where we've asked that question, and many of you may be even asking it tonight. But the real question is, am I worthy? And do I have value? We ask that every day of our lives subconsciously, whether we realize it or not. And we're looking at external sources, such as other people, circumstances, and things that happen to build up that sense of worth. John 3.16, undoubtedly the most famous verse in the Bible, and for a reason. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We sing, Holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed Trinity. It's a beautiful story of redemption that screams how valuable and precious that we are to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three had to be in agreement to create this beautiful story of redemption, which we get to be a part of. So God the Father had to give up his only son, knowing full well how much he was going to suffer, how much he was going to be persecuted, how much his flesh was going to be ripped off of his body, the physical anguish that he was going to go through. He was going to have a crown of thorns jabbed into his head. He had to carry that rugged cross all the way up to hill to Calvary when he was already just beat to smithereens. Then he had to have his hands nailed, his feet nailed, and then the cross lifted up. And then he died. God knew that before he sent and agreed to send his son. Jesus knew what he was going to have to experience before he agreed to do it. Now, here's the beautiful thing. In the middle of all that excruciating pain that Jesus is suffering, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't, I, I, I urge you to watch it because it gives a graphic example of the physical torture that Jesus had to go through. So you imagine Jesus going through all this torture. He's being ridiculed, spit on, slapped. His flesh is being ripped off. He's going through absolute hell on earth. And at any moment, 
He had the power to call angels. All he had to do was say one word and it would have all gone away. All of it. He could have delivered himself at any moment. Yet he kept his eye on the prize, which was you, and being obedient to the Father and honoring that agreement that he came to a place where he finished it. Jesus was obedient even to the death of on the cross. And then Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 45 to 46, Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. One pearl of great value. One pearl of great value. We are of great worth to God and we are highly valued. If it was just one person, okay, I want you to think of yourself right now individually. And I want you to chew on this amount of self-worth. If it was just you, Jesus would have done it. Just you, you and only you, Jesus would have done it. How cool is that? How precious does that make you feel to the God of the universe? So if we have this tremendous amount of value built into us, why is it that so many of us live so far below that? Why don't we experience the fullness of what Jesus came to accomplish for us? The finished work of the cross is so powerful. The power of the gospel is just, why aren't we living in it fully? Can anybody raise their hand and tell me they're fully living their purpose? I can't. I'd like to say that I was, then I'd be a liar. We could never really fully live it, but we should at least have the desire and the determination and the intensity about our lives to seek the fullness of what Jesus came to accomplish in and through us. So to understand what went wrong, I want to take a really quick trip back to the beginning, how things went bad. I'm just going to paraphrase some of this. So if you want to research this, you can go to Genesis, first book in the Bible, read the first three chapters. So God makes Adam perfect. God makes Eve perfect. Okay. At the end of Genesis 1, he says, okay, man and woman, they were naked and they had no shame. Don't think about that as a physical thing. Think about it as a relationship. So they were just naked, they were vulnerable, they were authentic, they were real, and they had no shame. Then the serpent, who was craftier than all the animals in the garden, the devil comes in to Eve and starts to create doubt. He questions their identity. He comes in and says, did God really say you can't eat from some of the trees in the garden? And then Eve responds, well, he just said that we couldn't um, eat or even touch the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if we do, we will die. And Satan says, surely you're not going to die. You know what he's saying there? God's a liar. You're not who he says you are, and you're not what you think you are. God is a liar. And he comes right in, and after that, he says, you're not like God. Because God knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll become like him. In other words, he's saying that God's a liar, you're not like him, your identity is in question. And what happens? They bought right into it. Because the Bible says that she looked at the fruit and saw it as desirable for gaining wisdom. Remember how we talked about intellectual knowledge, just knowing about Christ? She just wanted to know about good and evil. So they fall. And immediately, immediately the Bible says their eyes are opened 
they realize they're naked and shame enters because they go hide. This is the introduction of the false identity and this is the lie that I wanna expose. And this is what keeps us from living the fullness of Christ is because there is a false identity in each and every one of us that screams and begs for attention, affirmation, value and worth and wants to be king, wants to rule our lives. And this false identity was input in us because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed. So we have a false identity, but here's the good news. We have a new identity in Christ. But with this false identity, Satan took advantage of man's most intimate need, which is a desire for self-worth. Satan exploited that to the fullest. So what we do is we go about in our false identity. We live out of our mind. We live out of our ego. We start to say, okay, I'm going to look at my friends, my family, my job, my accomplishments. I'm going to look at all these externals, and I'm going to use them to start to build this false sense of self. And we start to live out of that. It's negative, self-gratifying, and destructive. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, Jesus says, Whoever finds his lower life will lose it, the higher life. Whoever loses his lower life on my account will find it, the higher life. Seems kind of confusing, doesn't it? Let me reword it in a different way. Whoever finds the reality in his false identity will lose the reality of his true identity. And whoever loses his false identity on Jesus' account will find his true identity. So identity is the first step towards self-worth. We were created in Christ before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us. So as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as, this, as the world's being created, the Bible says that we were found in him. So before Adam and Eve even fell, we were created in Christ. That is identity. That means we can live, a, we can live above self we can live above a false self-worth. We can live above sin. We can live above destruction. We can live above selfish desires. We will never consistently experience the abundant life without a biblically-based self-worth. If our self-worth is not in Christ, we're always going to be looking to put others down or to put them in their place to reinforce our place. It's the reason that sinners are running from the church today as fast as they can. It's because you have leaders, church leaders, who have good intentions, but they're like the Pharisees in the Old Testament, operating out of a place of fear and works and performance. Because here's the thing, if I can perform well enough, if I can jump through all the right hoops and I can put on my false sense of security and my false mask and give you the illusion that I am holy, perfect, and godly, I'm going to think God's approved with me because of the way that you're looking at me. Right? If things go bad in my life and things aren't really going that great, I'm going to think God's not pleased with me, obviously, because things aren't going well. Because the things that I looked to for my identity now all of a sudden aren't creating the response that I'm looking to get back. Whereas the difference of an attitude of wholeness, when you're complete in Christ, you're at peace. None of that affects you. I want to talk about a guy real quick named Paul. Paul's story is beautiful because he wore a mask that was better than anybody's. Paul goes through in Philippians chapter 3 and talks about his pedigree. 
how he had so much confidence in the flesh. If anybody has confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I should have more than anyone else. Paul said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, yada, yada, yada. It's all these different accomplishments. But then picking up in Philippians chapter three, verse seven, Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The false identity is always trying to become. Our true identity is just focusing on being. We don't have to become anything, ladies and gentlemen. We are approved. We are validated by the God of the universe. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And we have been made to be children of God with no shame. So there's no reason that we can't be completely honest and vulnerable with other people. That's why we're a big fan of small groups at Res Life Church. When you get into a small group, you understand that you're in a safe place, you can take off the mask, and you can start talking about real problems with real people, get real help, and find the real you. Without that, you're just going to continue to be living on surface-level relationships, wearing a mask. And there's more. Philippians 3, verse 10 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead, to know Christ. He says he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Listen, before we come to Christ, before God finds us, we're dead, we're hopeless, we're overcome by our sin, we're overwhelmed by our failure. We are lost without hope in the world, we're done. But God, in Christ, gives us a new identity. Our spirits are awakened. We become alive. We all of a sudden, our lives and our hearts are just lit on fire. And then we're awake. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. But the interesting part that I always see a lot of people skip right over is the participation in his sufferings. We don't like to suffer, do we? But think about the suffering that Christ went through. So, on Jesus' account, have you ever felt abandoned? You ever felt overlooked? You ever felt ridiculed, bullied? People ever made fun of you? People ever abused you? Have you ever been embarrassed? Have you ever been emotionally torn down, stripped down? Have you ever been condemned, forsaken, or shamed? Or am I the only one? We have to identify with the sufferings of Christ we'll never experience resurrection power until we're able to identify with his sufferings. We have to crucify the lie. 
We have to crucify this false identity that every day wants to rule and reign in our lives. Every day we get up, that false identity is knocking at the door. We have to crucify that part of us so the new part of us can become our reality. And I'm telling you, there's abundant life there. Philippians 3, chapter 12 says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a journey of a lifetime to discover our true identity. Think of it as a journey of discovery, not a result to achieve. And just like Jesus, Jesus had to discover his identity. Oftentimes we think, oh, he's perfect, he's God, but yet he was also fully man. And the Bible says that he had to grow in wisdom and in stature. So just like us, Jesus had to go into the word of God and look at it as if it was a mirror to discover who he was and what his purpose was and what God had called him to do. So Jesus is our example. And we oftentimes think that Jesus never made mistakes. Jesus never sinned. But you can imagine, I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. You think he never hit his thumb with a hammer? You think he never got a splinter? You think he never stubbed his toe? Of course he did. He was fully human. He experienced all the pain. He experienced all the temptations. He experienced all the rejection, shame, everything that you could possibly imagine that you're going to go through. He experienced it. So we, like Jesus, have a lifetime job of accepting and establishing our heart in the truth of our identity. And most of us are just trying to become instead of just trying to believe. And to believe, I must read my Bible. I must pray. I must meditate. I must convince my naturally unbelieving heart through the scriptures about my new identity. Because until they're firmly established in my heart, I will never experience the grace or God's ability working in and through me to walk it out. Jesus did the same thing. He grew in wisdom and stature in favor with man and God. He grew in the grace of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 15 says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too will make, God will make clear to you. Only let us live to what we have already attained. I want to close with this. We should be declaring God's clarity over our lives. God is not the author of confusion. I know things seem cloudy in life sometimes. We're always asking that question of worth. Who are we? Who am I? Where do I belong? Declare God's clarity over your life because he cares for you and you are precious to him. You are more precious to him than you can ever possibly dare think or imagine. Begin to explore it because he's given us a lifetime to explore that. And also, don't be discouraged. Start right now where you are. Right now. There is, a, there, is, there is an abundant life full of resurrection power just right there for all of us to experience. 
Are we going to be bold? Are we going to be courageous? Are we going to be full of tenacity and determination to honor what Christ accomplished on the cross to make sure that we experience the fullness of it? Because that is truly the abundant life. Perfect love casts out all fear. It's scary to let go of this false identity because we grow up our entire lives developing it. We spend every day reinforcing it. So it's scary to let go of things that we've hold, we, we cling to so dearly. It's a scary thing, but perfect love, the perfect love of God, casts out every fear. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us true identity, that you've given us a passion like no other. And God, I just thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation that you give to us. God, that at Christmas season, we can just know and be assured, be assured of the fact that you accomplished it all. That you came as a babe all the way to accomplishing salvation for us on the cross. If you're sitting out there tonight and you're dead inside, you're dead, but yet you feel a knock. You feel an urge. There's a flicker of a flame deep down in you. And you know that there's more. And you want to experience what it's like for Jesus Christ to light you up on the inside. And for you to all of a sudden taste a life with no limits on your potential. You're going to have an opportunity. I'm going to count to three. I just want you to gently raise your hand up and I want you to say, Scott, that's me. I want to get rid of this false identity and I want to wake up. I want to be alive in Christ, and I want to live this good life. One, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm done with my old life. I'm done with my false identity. I'm going to be a new creature in Christ. I'm going to be a new creation. I'm going to be a new person. Two, you're going to be forgiven of all your sin, all of your shame, mistakes, your failure, your guilt. Everything that you've been carrying is going to be wiped away. Three, that's you raise your hand. See that hand? See that one there? Awesome. Awesome. Stand over here. Awesome. Secondly, if you are a child of God already and you're willing to admit, you know what, Scott, I've lived this false life. I've lived this false identity and I've been wearing a mask. Nobody knows who I really am. But tonight I want to make a conscious decision to remove the mask so I can experience who I've truly been created to be. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to raise my hand as well for that. All right, if you would, if, you, if everyone would stand, please. And say this prayer after me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you gave yourself for me. When I was at my worst, you gave me your best. I confess your lordship in my life. Jesus, I believe in you. My heart and my life are yours completely. And I thank you that I'm forgiven and all my sin is washed away.
I thank you for my new life. I thank you for boldness and courage to remove the mask, to get rid of the false identity, and to live the abundant life that you've called me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.